So a content warning for everybody before we begin. Uh, This episode contains discussions of trauma, abuse, and PTSD. We are also not therapists or mental health professionals of any kind. We're just two queers who have done a lot of therapy. Fuck yeah, we have. Fuck yeah, we have. Hey, folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer she-ra podcast. I'm Force Captain Matt Thaybam. And I am Princess Jenny, she, her. And today we are discussing In the Shadows of Mysticore, or magic. In the Shadows of Mysticore is Season 1, Episode 7. It is written by Rich Burns, storyboard by Mark Camelbeck, Mandy Clotworthy, Angela Kim, and Farron Pearl, and directed by Leanne Hughes. Um, hi, Jenny. Hi, Mef. Oh, my Welcome goodness. Welcome back to my screen. I'm so Thank happy you. to see your gay face. I am happy to see your gay face in your incredibly gay room with all of your Buffy and, and Ashira stuff around you, which makes me really Yay. happy. Hooray. Uh, thank you, everybody. I missed all of you. Uh, I was off in Mysticor, uh, relaxationing, or at least trying to. What was your favorite part? Was it the cloud beach or the steam grotto? Um, my favorite part was learning how to relax, which just like Adora, I had a really hard time figuring out. Oh, yeah, I bet. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to be back. It's nice to see everybody. It's nice to hear your voices. And it's nice to talk about my favorite show. So thanks for yep. having me back. And I look forward to having more in-depth discussions about incredibly homosexual cartoons. Yay! Yay! So, Jenny, you want to start us off? Oh, boy. So this is the episode along Adora's journey where she fully realizes like consciously and acknowledges the fact that she has been abused, that Shadow Weaver has been emotionally and mentally abusive to her her entire life, and that she does not have to take it anymore. You know, there's other stuff going on, but that was the big takeaway for me. Yeah, yeah. It's, and so it's pretty heavy. It's <laughs> pretty heavy, even though when you compare it to the later heavier episodes, it may not seem that way. But this is the first episode where Adora has to begin to reckon with the fact that she can't just run away from her trauma. Mm-hmm. Wherever you go, your trauma goes with you. Exactly. It shadows you. Indeed, it does. Ah. That, ah, ah. ah that was very good. Uh-huh. That was very good. So before we get into the episode, do we want to take a few minutes at the top to discuss the overall big picture view of how specifically Adora has been abused by Shadow Weaver and how it has impacted her worldview and her sense of self? Yeah, I think I think so. I think maybe we can define a couple of our terms so when we get into the weeds here, we can, uh, you know, just kind of really dig in. So when we have talked about the two of them and their parallel but different pointed abuse. Two of who? Oh, of Catra and Adora. Sorry. Okay. They're side by side parallel journeys of abuse. It's really easy. And I have been guilty of this very much to to always say like, oh yes, they were both abused and they both had a lot of rough shit, but Catra's, you know, was worse in the end because, you know, she was physically abused, Mm -hmm. she was demeaned every day, she was told she was garbage. You know, they were both abused, but Catra was really abused worse. I definitely have said that. But when I did some real basic internet research for this episode, and again, I am not a therapist. This is, you know, scientific data-driven research that I am Mm -hmm. talking about. Every major article, scientific and, you know, medical article that I came across said that children who have witnessed domestic violence 
have just as many bad outcomes long term and have just as many incidents as PTSD and, you know, every other long term bad outcome Mm -hmm. as children who have been physically abused themselves. Mm -hmm. Both of those groups of children have just as much incidence as PTSD as soldiers returning from war, which I really hate that that's the gold standard for how traumatized a person can be. Well, I I, I mean, it was first, you know, uh, physical and psychological trauma. I know. It was first defined. Was was first understood and first defined as shell shock um, from soldiers in World War One. Yes, you are right. It was that is exactly right. It was codified and brought into the general consciousness by soldiers' experience. And thank you for pointing that out. But in terms of like you know the public ethos and current medical thinking and awareness is like is that really the benchmark for how traumatized a person can possibly be right exactly um but so you know adora's abuse was just as bad as katra's yeah and it's hard for a lot of people to accept that but medically and scientifically it's true yes yes agreed and especially the type of abuse that we we witness from them because while you know uh, adora is kind of put up on the 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 pedestal as like you know you're the good one and catra's the bad one it was also you know if you misbehave catra's gonna get it exactly exactly there, it was also very direct it, it it wasn't just like we're gonna beat the crap out of catra and you know kiss adora's ass yeah no she was set up for a lifelong guilt complex yep. from the age of six because anything bad that happened to anyone else was her fault either her friends were punished when she misbehaved yep. or they were punished when they misbehaved but it was still her fault because she was supposed to be in charge of everybody right. again from way too young of an age and she was supposed to have been keeping a better eye on them should have shown them better should have made sure that they were not getting up to mischief you must keep a better eye on her yep yep so either way it's her fault yep Ugh. This episode's gonna fuck me up, guys. Yeah, it already it already fucked us up. I'm already real. like, oh yeah. man, I am going to need to go back to Mysticor after yeah, this. Yeah, this was this was hard. This was hard. So that was the beginning of what we've seen all through the series of Adora feeling very little sense of self apart from saving other people. Mm-hmm. It was begun by Shadow Weaver, yep. you know, installing this most primal guilt in her for feeling that if anything bad happens, it's her fault. It's on her. It's her responsibility. And therefore, it is her responsibility to also fix everything. Yes, exactly. Poor sweet baby Adora. I know, both of them. I know, but in this case, poor sweet baby Adora. Poor sweet baby Adora. Yeah, and so... The way Shadow Weaver manipulated her into thinking everything was her fault, even though she was at the same time being treated like the golden child and put on a pedestal and not being the one to actually get hit and electrocuted, but made to watch. Mm -hmm. um, That dovetails really nicely into one of the main terms I wanted to find before we even start, which is one of the primary forms of abuse that Adora suffered from her early, early life, which is gaslighting. What's gaslighting, Jenny? Well, this is, again, a a definition that I lifted from a medical source. Um, We can put sources in the notes. Gaslighting is a type of sustained psychological abuse where a person or a group makes someone question their sanity, judgment, or memories. People experiencing gaslighting often feel confused, anxious, and unable to trust themselves. So I think we've all had relationships that have included... Well... Hopefully not everyone. (laughs) I'll only speak for myself 
we all know what gaslighting is intuitively from our lives. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people interact with folks that haven't continued to gaslight them. Yeah. Making somebody doubt themselves so they are completely dependent on you. Right. Is also uh, typical of a parent that shows uh, narcissistic tendencies. Yes. Yes. A lot of the stuff that we're going to be dealing with, a lot of the conversation around Shadow Weaver as a parent figure is coming from this place of being a narcissistic parent who is, you know, possessive, sees the child as an extension of their own gratification and Mm -hmm. inflated sense of self. There are no personal boundaries in terms of, you know, what their accomplishments are and their child's accomplishments. And the child is essentially a tool for them to achieve their own greatness. Exactly. So we definitely see that uh, with their relationship. Oh, I have another Buffy parallel. Oh, okay. Amy who is a side character on Buffy, who was a witch before Willow was a witch early, early, early in the first season. Her mom turned out to be the one manipulating her against her will using magic. You mean magic? Why, yes, I do, Meth. I do. (laughs) Her mom forced her to become the pretty cheerleader, popular girl, live that life that she had lived Because Mm -hmm. that was all she wanted for herself was just to continue living that life. Mm -hmm. And if she couldn't anymore, her daughter was going to. Right, exactly. It had nothing to do with her daughter at all as a person. Yep. And this is something we're going to keep uh, kind of focusing on because Shadow Weaver is obsessed. There is an obsession with Adora of bringing Adora back, of having more power over Adora because Shadow Weaver knows that Adora is powerful. Shadow Weaver sees Adora as nothing other than an extension of herself. Yeah. And also like... a tool to use to gain more power. Yes. She has an idea of what Endgame may be with Adora. Yes. Whether it's with, you know, leading the Horde or whether it's using her for whatever magical purposes or, you know, at the end of the show, having her sacrifice and and open up the magic for everyone, which was identified in the Lightspinner episode as something that she wanted, albeit in a very different way. Yes. All true. She uh, she has always used Adora to gain power. Just like she used Micah a generation earlier. Yes, which, and she, used, she uses children. She is a manipulator of children. And mm-hmm. that is why she is a villain. Not an antagonist, but a villain. Yes. I would say she's probably the main villain uh, in terms of the psychological impact of our characters, of our two protagonists. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And the fact that the writers chose to have a narcissistic, manipulative parent as their villain, they're definitely working something out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, absolutely. It's it's so common. And it's so much more relatable than, for example, Horde Prime. Exactly. Like, ooh, big scary cult leader. Sure, some kids grow up in big scary cults, but, you know, having the the narcissistic parent, the helicopter parent, the one that says, well, no, you have to do this. You're so much better than your brother. You know, like seeing how it starts out from such a power imbalance Mm -hmm. from such an early age and the way, you know, how deeply rooted it is, seeing the way it starts, seeing Mm -hmm. how it starts and how that kind of power takes root. Mm -hmm. It's very important to see it. Also, I feel like we're going to get 
a lot of messages if we don't also just mention the origin of the term gaslight is from a 1944 American movie, but it was also a 1938 British play first and a 1940 British movie. But you know, everyone thinks of the American movie. It's about, it's a movie called Gaslight and it's about a husband that manipulates his wife into thinking she's going insane by slowly dimming their gas fueled lights over time and then telling her she's hallucinating and other things like, you know, he'd move a book or move a piece of furniture and then tell her it had always been there. That's the origin of the term gaslight. I hate that. You do? I mean, why? Also, can I tell you the name of the source for the definitions that I have directly quoted now? Because you're going to freak out when you hear it. Okay. So the woman who I was quoting is Robin Stern, PhD, licensed Mm -hmm. psychoanalyst and co-founder and associate director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. Shouldn't like everyone go there? I I feel like they must service people with emotional intelligence and they don't let you go. Until you have some. I feel like the uh, I feel like I need to go to a, a, an emotional intelligence garage and be serviced a lot of the times. So we all do, my friend. You want to talk about this episode now? Yes. Sick. Yeah, I do. So, uh, Jenny, you want to start us off? Tell us where we're at. Sure. We are in a forest at night with the best friend squad who are all sleeping. But Adora's sleep looks pretty restless. You know, she's not sleeping soundly. And she hears a whisper of Shadow Weaver's voice calling her name. It might be there. It might not. If it is there, it's kind of far away. It's like just creepy AF. Mm -hmm. Not sure if it was real or not. She kind of gets up and walks sleepily into the edge of the woods in like a semi-conscious haze. Mm -hmm. That's all that happens. So we don't know if that was real or if she was semi-conscious dreaming. Right, right. The what is it? Um, hypnagogic is the state. That's an awesome fifty-cent word. It is. I love fifty-cent words. So, uh, hypnagogic is the state in between um, sleep and awake. So it's when you're trying to fall asleep or when you're trying to wake up, and it's that weird place where like you can still remember your dreams or you're still hearing things, but your your mind is wandering into the um, crepuscular landscape that is the dream. Crepuscular. Well, I'm looking outside. It's really pretty. <laughs> um, it is dusk and there are rabbits chasing each other. And Aww. yeah, it's wicked fucking cute. But yes, hypnagogic. So fun things about hypnagogic states is that this is a state where you are prone to audio hallucinations. This is also and it might be, you know, the same thing. It might be like, a you know, hold two truths, right? You are prone to audio hallucinations, but it is also a type of psychological state where you are more susceptible to ghosty buddies. So, um, you know, sometimes the more paranormal and the weirdest shit happens when you are hypnagogic. When you are most receptive to it. When you are most receptive yeah. to it. So, you know, that's fun. Well, in any case, she stays like that all night as yep. far as we can tell. Because when we, the others wake up in the morning, she's still like that. But we can't skip over Bo and Glimmer's wake up because it is adorable. It's so cute. I did want to bring one thing up before we go to their wake up, which is, so the transcripts that I'm looking at right now, it says at night, two moons hang over the sky of Etheria. So we all, you know, we already know Etheria does not have suns. It is a lunar planet with magic. And multiple moons. And multiple moons. But the different moon rises and falls are the things that show what day or night is. So I guess two moons is nighttime and like three or four moons is daytime. I mean, honestly, I wasn't keeping track of that stuff because it it seemed a little random and I decided 
I wasn't going to take any action based on what I figured out anyway. I wasn't going to really form an opinion. I was like, it's it's a bunch of moons. Sometimes it's day, sometimes it's night. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Because you can't really get daylight from moons without something to reflect off the moons anyway. Well, Jenny, that's because it's magic. <laughs> oh, I know. All right. So we got Bo and Glimmer here. I love their wake up. Me too. They wake up like a couple. I mean, they do, but I also want to hold space for them to just be waking up like two people who care about each other a lot and don't necessarily have to yeah. be in a sexual yeah. relationship. Oh, absolutely. They they sleep next to each other a lot. They have an intimate relationship, but like- Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Like I spent plenty of time, certainly, you know, as a child and a teenager- which they are teenagers, you know, uh-huh. having sleepovers mm-hmm. with people who I felt, you know, were an intimate part of my life, but it doesn't always have to be sexual. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Or romantic. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Although we know they do end up as a couple. Yeah. But I, I mean, like in, in, in a personal experience type of thing, it's definitely like, ugh, you're the snorer. Whatever. Yes. And of course, Bo just bounces out of bed in the morning. (laughs) I just love morning glimmer. Today is canceled. Go back to bed. Bo just sits and stares at her with a huge smile until she feels his eyes on her. And that's when she says, today's cancel, go back to bed. Relatable content. Also, can we just discuss for a second how good of a job the artist did at conveying yes, Glimmer's bedhead? Yes, I would have that in my notes. Glimmer's bedhead is sick. I want that haircut. It's a good haircut. How do you have cartoon hair that's so <sighs> perfectly astray? She only had like one little strand that was actually a strand like sticking out in the middle. Good job, it's perfect. artists. Y'all crushed it. Yes. And they managed to have their little early morning Mm -hmm. bicker sesh that swoops perfectly into a discussion Mm -hmm. of, wait, where's Adora? Mm -hmm. And so off in the distance, we see that she's just standing there staring into the woods. And then they teleport there because Glimmer is magic lazy. (laughs) Come on, I would do it. Glimmer, you are travel. You are a travel inspiration for me. Whatever. It's not important. They get over there. And Adora is still, like, Mm kind of dissociated, pretty out of it, even though she's talking. Like, her eyes are open. She's not asleep. Do we want to talk about hypervigilance? I literally have that in all caps as my next comment. All right. Hypervigilance is, in children, certainly, and I'm sure it can continue well into adulthood in different forms, when you become hyper aware of the possibility of danger at any time, Mm -hmm. and so you can't relax And you certainly can't go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm speaking from experience on this one, um, but I am. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I spent many childhood nights hypervigilantly awake throughout the entire night. And actually, my first therapist was a childhood sleep specialist. Really? Yeah. And so I adopted a lot of really, really helpful falling asleep techniques from a pretty young age. That's really go- that's really awesome. Yeah, it is. And they have served me well throughout my life, let me tell you. Yeah, well, that's great. And yeah, so hypervigilance, I do have a, a definition here. Uh, it's It says the nervous system is not correctly filtering sensory information. So you're actually taking, you're in like an enhanced state of sensory sensitivity and you're taking in way more sensory information than you, sh- you probably should be for your brain to be okay. It can be uh, brought upon by people who experienced 
have experienced traumatic events or PTSD because your body is literally always on call to defend itself. Yes, that's very well put. Adora is very literally embodying this right now. So it's not it's not alluded mm-hmm. to. This hypervigilance is literal. She wakes up, is patrolling the camp, is vigilant, is reacting to any sight or, or sound that she hears, and is essentially yes. ready to defend at a, at, a, at a moment's notice. Yes. And even though it's now been all night and she hasn't heard another sound, she's not able to relax and say, well, I guess it was nothing. Exactly. Uh, she has major dysregulation in her stress levels because she was literally trained to never not be vigilant, both through trauma and through the training of, of being a soldier, which we learn later. Yes. This is quite a combo. Meanwhile, Glimmer just doesn't get it. Glimmer has her own stuff, but does not understand this type of stuff. It's like, what what did you hear? Oh, is it a bunny or a butterfly? Yeah, Glimmer has no idea. But she looks at Adora and she sees that her friend is a fucking mess and is like, oh, are are you okay? Did you get any sleep? And Mm -hmm. Adora, once again, goes into the literal, being literal of hypervigilant. You know, somebody had to stand guard. She literally had to be vigilant. Yep. Even though they don't usually, as far as we know, have a rotating guard through the night yeah. when they're out sleeping in the woods. Yeah. The, the fact that we have those two like sleeping and then being like, did you get sleep? That's pretty, it's pretty easy to, to deduce that. Yeah. And then, you know, Bo rolled over to his other side where he thought Adora was and he's like, hey, Adora, do you think I snore? Because Glimmer just said I snore. Right. Like it's clearly implied that they usually all are asleep at the same time. Yeah. But the next, the very next thing that happens after, you know, Adora is in her state and then Glimmer finally notices Mm -hmm. that she's not responding to the teasing Mm -hmm. and something's off and she says, hey, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Glimmer says, I know you've been on edge, on edge, since what happened in Drill. She's acknowledging that she knows that Adora has just been through something. But now that's why she just needs to relax now. Right. Because then it'll all be better. They're going to go to Mysticor where all the wonderful relaxing things are. Yep. And vacation is going to make it all better. Yeah. So the PSA here is... Vacation will not cure your PTSD. But Glimmer doesn't know that it's PTSD. Because for Glimmer, it is stressful. And she's like, yo, I am stressed. Let's go get back massages and listen to Enya in, you know. And have a spa weekend. Yeah, they're going to have a a spa weekend in Sedona. We'll have have the steam room. Yeah. We'll have a hot tub soak. Hot tub soak. Yeah, no, Glimmer can't know what she doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. And, And she will you know, but right now she is, she will, she she is ignorant to this, which is not a bad thing. It just means that she doesn't know it. So she doesn't know it yet. So we're like, what the fuck is a mysticor? And, you know, Glimmer gives some exposition. It's a secret floating kingdom of sorcerers. It's uh, tranquil gardens and beautiful beaches and healing springs. It's Sedona and her aunt (laughs) runs it. (laughs) It's where they keep all the magical sorcerer things and the cloud spas. Yeah, exactly. And it's a floating island. It's a floating island. A magically enchanted floating island. What is enchanting the island, Jenny? Well, it's uh, the result of a protection spell that comes from their monthly moon ceremony, which is immediately one of my gayest moment nominations. That's a really we good all know that moment. We all know that a monthly moon ceremony uh-huh. is unbelievably gay. Oh, it's unbelievably gay. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> what were you fishing for, though? I was fishing for you to say magic oh (laughs) also i don't want to skip over the fact that Bo does let us know at the very beginning of this part where Mm -hmm. adora is 
so, sorry, where Glimmer's telling Adora about Mysticor, that Bo says, you know, yay, I can't wait until we go to, to Mysticor. And, you know, it's another reminder of Bo and Glimmer's shared history and the fact that they are a very clearly chosen family. Mm-hmm. All of Glimmer's extended family knows Bo. Yeah. And also, we also learn, you know, we get a little bit of exposition here that, you know, Mysticor is protected by an, an invisibility spell. There's a protection spell. It's the safest, peaceful place in all of Etheria. So, of course, when anybody says that in the beginning of any sort of uh, narrative uh, form, you know that they're setting it up to not be true. <laughs> so Yes, it's not going to be as safe as everyone thinks it is. No, it's, it's like the coma that she was never going to wake up from. Exactly. Or, you know, what could po- it's the what could possibly go wrong. What could possibly yes. go wrong here? And also, it's run by her aunt, uh-huh. Sandra O. Uh, oh, oh, we're going like, to get to that. Sandra fucking O. Oh, we're going to get to Sandra O. Auntie Casta. Ugh. Like, how did they achieve that? Ugh. It's hard to even know. So good. So Odora's court, of course, is like, you know, I've never relaxed in my life, right? And everyone's like, ha, ha, ha. And I go, oh, no. <laughs> and then my heart hurts a lot. I know. I know. It's like Glimmer already forgot that she didn't know what a party was when they first met her. Oh, party. I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the cake and the horse? The horse. Oh, gay horse. And there was even something to hit. There Unfortunately, was. Unfortunately, that's not going to be the case here. It's There isn't. And, you know, maybe they should have given her something to hit to relax anyway. TBD. So we literally see, you know, sweet baby Adora says, I can't relax. And Bo's like, well, we're going to relax now. I mean, not that obviously. But yes. then a shadowy figure appears uh, behind a bush and follows them. Adora cannot relax because she is literally shadowed by her past. Indeed. She is literally being pursued by it. Yep. Your shadow follows you and you can't walk away from your shadow. Exactly. So we have the theme song. Credits, credits. Yeah. We are going to win in the end, and they do. Let's get a little ahead of ourselves. How about first we go to the Black Garnet Chamber? I think we should go to the Black Garnet Chamber. Where Shadow Weaver is having her private time, private evil time with the Black Garnet. She is having her evil time. She's fondling some rocks, you know. Catra shows up behind her. Enter Catra. Being such a punk. Oh, I love it. She's like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Yep. This is my first nomination for gayest moment because Catra Oh my god, mine too. Such a gay punk in this. She's just like, ugh, I so don't care. I, uh, yeah, it's just Ending so good. Ending with the lean. Yes, the butch lean. Yeah. Yes, Catra does the butch lean, which is a phenomenon. And we were going to find <laughs> find pictures of the butch lean and put them in the show notes. Absolutely. Maybe we'll turn it into some tweets and some little videos. Some of the socials. We'll put them on the socials. Yeah, so you will see with your own eyes Catra compared to other leaning gays for your viewing pleasure but we have to move past Katra in this moment so yeah so we have Katra leaning pulling in you wanted to see me and Shadow Weaver's ah yes Force Captain actually refers to her by her title interesting mm, for once for once but of course it's in like this like super bitchy like how kind of you to join me yeah she's super creepy from moment one. Yeah, super sarcastic, very much like, I d- obviously don't respect you. And of course, Katra's fucking punk about it. Ooh, you're spookier than usual. Yeah, but Shadow Weaver shows Katra all the footage 
uh-huh. that the shadow spies brought back to her spooky scrying bowl. Yes. It's Adora and her new friends on their way to Mysticor. Those are Catra's two favorite words, right? Right. Her new friends. Uh-huh. It's always a pleasure for Catra. Yep. And we actually talk about the spooky scrying bowl a lot here, but since we're in the magical context, I want to tell people what scrying is. Yes, that's a great idea. So, scrying is the practice of looking into a suitable medium to detect significant messages or visions. So, for example, there's something called fire scrying where you just kind of stare at a fire and you zone out. And um, it's much more, you know, it's much different than that, but it's a form to get into a meditative state. Um, Crystal balls are uh, scrying. Uh, mirrors are scrying. Um, and in this case, we have the uh, the spooky cauldron. She is literally standing over a cauldron in her flowing vestments, waving her arms and chanting a spell. She is being your stereotypical witch here. Which, when we go through the series, we hear that all spellcasters in Etheria are understood to be sorcerers. There's no concept of yep. the witch. Yeah, the word witch is never used. It's never used. But in this here, series. This in particular, this very specific part, even though we see the spooky scrying bowl all the time, this very specific part is a witch casting spells, chanting over her cauldron. You're right. But so part of that is that Shadow Weaver shows Catra what's going on. Mm -hmm. Catra immediately thinks this is going to end with a, and now that we know where she is, you're going to go get her. She's kind of resigned to it. She's like, all right, yeah. when do I leave? Uh-huh. But then Shadow Weaver tells her, oh, no, bitch, you're just here to watch the door. Uh huh. I'm going to take care of it this time. I'm going to take care of it myself. Mm-hmm. And so we have Catra have a little bit of a reaction like she's not sure mm-hmm. how she feels about this. So Shadow Weaver dismisses her and tells her to go. And she hesitates. Yeah, and then she... And then Shadow Weaver really gets right up in her personal space and screams at her. Yeah, yeah. And so we're seeing the the parallel the parallel views here. Mm-hmm. And the look that Catra has, she's triggered. She's yep. she, like, you know, the, oh, the, yeah. the notes that I have are she scurries off. Anytime we see her breathing hard and having sweat on her face, one bead of sweat, yep. she's triggered. Yeah, she's triggered. And then now is when we have double bubble toil and trouble. Shadow spy, follow on to Mysticor. Yeah. Boom. Magic. Or magic. <laughs> I don't think that one should get the bubbly magic sounds because that was dark magic. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a great voice, Meth. And yeah, so Shadow Weaver does the spell thing because that's what it is. She's casting a spell. And slams the door. The shadow spies... Go and do their thing, and then we go back to the three of them standing upon a precipice, overlooking a thousand-foot yes. drop. They're hiking to Mysticor. I don't think they get to the precipice immediately. Right. And then they get to this giant fucking cliff, mm-hmm. right? And without any explanation from Boar Glimmer, they just say, we're here! And they jump off a cliff. Yep. And Adora's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And she has no idea that there is a little floating... Magic Island coming coming up out of the clouds. And then she has like a calculated number of seconds to process that completely mm-hmm. and then run and jump onto it before it floats away. Right. So, you know, a lot of pressure for a few seconds to process all that information. Right. Yeah. P.S. Why does anyone ever doubt Adora's intuition? It's 
I mean, it's the unanswerable question because then there would be no hijinks. Right. It's the wacky hi- It's like that's the thing that happens in every show, right? Like the hero is right, like, I don't right, know, guys. Right. And then they're all like, that's nah, fine. And of course, you. that's how drama happens. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It's literally part of the dramatic form. I know, I know. I mean, it's a throwaway question. Yeah. Why doesn't anyone listen to Adora? It would be like three episodes, right? Yeah. Or it would be like, no, you know, know, it's why didn't Catra just go with Adora in the beginning? Well, because the show would be the 20 end. minutes long. Congratulations. <laughs> but they make it. They make it. Yay. Also, I just want to review the first few um, sentences of dialogue that they say to each other when they arrive. First, Bo hops off, and they're just both so carefree and excited immediately. Mm-hmm. He hops off and he says, we rode a flying mountain through clouds. Mm-hmm. It never gets old. Yep. So first of all, you know, that just reestablishes the fact that he has history here. He's totally at ease here. Mm-hmm. He's expressing that even on Etheria, this is a fucking novelty experience. Yep. And this is a great vacation. And that the two of them are fully in vacation mode mm-hmm. and they're not thinking about, like, how are we going to get Adora to relax? They're just fully in relaxation mode. Yeah. We, now we get to, you know, meet Now Aunt we Casta. meet Aunt Casta. Sandra O. Oh my God. Let's talk about how Sandra How did they get oh. her? I don't know. I mean, they have, is... like, amazing cast on this show. Though. I know. I mean, but this is relatively speaking a fairly minor speaking part yeah and they still got somebody so dope sandra oh is dope um sandra oh is a korean canadian actress that has been active since the 90s she is known for her work on uh gray's anatomy uh with her ex-husband alexander payne who was a uh phenomenal satire director um, throughout the 90s Hi, and I did the not 2000s. Know that. Yeah, yeah, they were married for a while because she was dude. in uh, that movie, the wine movie. Oh, yeah, Sideways? Sideways. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. And, of course, if you're gay, which probably are if you're listening to this, you probably know Killing Eve, which probably. I have not yet watched, but it's another sexy enemies cat and mouse type of type of show which i have heard is the gayest and is absolutely lovely um Sandra and apparently fucking... a lot of people like to compare it to she-ra to yeah. catch adora specifically yeah it's like if you like catch adora come on over to killing eve yeah that's what i've heard if you're an adult yeah i mean i liked it but in the end it was a little too dark for me to continue long term yeah, I will probably sit down and binge it. It is on my list. Anyway, Sandra Oh is fucking iconic. And I would just like to bring up that there is a phenomenal picture that I found on the internet of Sandra Oh in the 90s with like this super awesome like wavy hair sitting there with like this smirk wearing a Pepsi shirt. So it's like the old school like 90s Pepsi logo. But instead of it saying Pepsi, it says pussy. <gasps> what? Uh-huh. And I'm it's going the- into like my dog only dogs can hear this shrill level now you saw what it is the hottest shit ever oh my god well we clearly have to share this with the people everyone's gonna everyone's gonna be excited to see that yeah um if you want to see it just google sandra o pussy shirt it's amazing and we're gonna share it obviously anyway we should probably stop talking we should move past sandra o and the pussy shirt as hard as it might be. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So Aunt Casta um, is kind of passive aggressive. Mm. Have you changed your hair? I'm sure your mother's not feeding you. I notice you're not wearing the sweater I made you. But you tell me if you didn't like it, right? 
So Ankhkasta is a little passive aggressive. And I did want to kind of draw a little um, parallel here between uh, a theme in the show, a theme in this particular episode is the, um, the concept of the shadow and the mirror. So we are literally working with mirrors here. As a, yeah, that's um, like heavy, heavy handed in this episode. Deeply heavy handed is shadow and mirror. And in this, we see the visual uh, comparison of both Shadow Weaver and Casta Spella literally looking in mirrors, like cauldrony mirrors, scryingy things in order to communicate with the magic that they need to communicate with, um, to use that technology. Mm-hmm. Also in doing that visually, we have them drawn as parallels of female familial um, figures, not so much authority figures in this in this case, but familial figures. Aunt Casta and, you know, we see early, later, you know, when Glimmer says, oh, mom stuff, like... A maternal figure. Both of them are kind of controlling. Now, we defined gaslighting earlier. Yes, we did. And, you know, it is, it is a, it's, it's nasty business. Nasty business. It's a, and it's a huge part of this episode. Yeah. And it's a huge part of Adora's psyche. And it's, yes, it's a very deep and destructive force. Yes, it, and, and it is. But it, but it comes from a place of control. Specifically, it comes from a place of controlling another person's narrative. Passive aggression is also a place where you are controlling somebody else's narrative because you are kind of frying their circuits with it, right? Your your attitude is betraying what you are saying. So in doing so, you are actually not really communicating with them properly. You're kind of low-key gaslighting them and trying to decipher what the feelings that you're saying are, right? It's it's a very low level, you know. It's played here, and it, it really is in many many aspects. Yeah, more of an annoyance than an actual like. I mean, of course, I have seen people take passive aggressiveness pretty far. Oh yeah, compared to the everyday stuff, but right. it's yes, it's it's far less less so than gaslighting. And and in this instance, I think we can really only see It's a passive way of trying to control another person's narrative. Exactly. You're not trying with all your strength. Exactly. You're passively kind of trying. Passively trying to control a narrative versus with gaslighting. Um, you are actively controlling, trying to control somebody's narrative. And that's what's happening here. Casta is coming from a place of love and familiarity. And, you know, as we see later in the episode, like she, she is coming from a place of love about this but she does have kind of her own baggage and is shown as a mirror to this so also we find out that Bo is wearing the socks that she got him I know and the way he said it was kind of crap he's like well I'm wearing my socks we're like we get it buddy you're the good kid gotcha well it also shows again like he has he has familial ties with Glimmer's family true yeah her family loves him like he's part of their family yeah and then Aunt Casta tells us that we've come at the perfect time mm-hmm. because there's an eclipse this evening, which I'm sure will go smoothly and nothing interesting will happen, right? N- nothing could possibly go wrong. I know, right? And how much would you have bet if we hadn't already seen it that you could have predicted that Glimmer would not be a gracious guest? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Like, you don't need to have seen it to know that. Yeah, you, you knew that was going to happen. I did want to bring up stuff about magic actually, and how it is used in Mysticor and kind of keep going back on our magic as technology. Magic, you say? Because we see we see them walking through Mysticor and we see sorcerers, right? We see them doing their sorcery thing. And we see plenty more evidence in this episode of your original thesis, which I agree with, that there's no religion on Etheria and that all of the uh, rituals and practices they have are material-based, as is the magic. Yep. So we know we have identified um, a particular, we have identified 
particular sets of magic users in Etheria that are able to use the technology of magic to accomplish their the goals that they need. So first, mm-hmm. this is the one that the new one that we see is the sorcerers. So mm-hmm. what we know about sorcerers is that they have an inborn ability to uh, work with magic, but they have mm-hmm. to train in order to learn the forms to do so. It's like Harry Potter. Yeah. And the magic that the sorcerers use, we have um, sigil magic. So they are drawing signs. We see Casta doing it too. They're drawing signs with their hands in order to cast a spell. Cast a spell. Ha. ha ha ha. So the signs, those specific signs are called sigils or sigils is just another word for signs? Sigil magic is magic that uses particular symbols in order to use the energy of, of to, to, to harness the energy of the magic itself. So the magic is working with the sigil. It's drawing the sigil. It's okay. working. It's working on the sigil. It's it, cool stuff. It, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can look up. Sigil yeah, magic, of if course, you want. Of course, of course. So that's what they're doing here. Um, there's also uh, they're also using um, hand movements, which reminded me of uh, mudra. So mudra is the symbolic or ritual gesture opposed. It's found in you know Hinduism and Jainism and and Buddhism and. It is you use particular movements of your hand and your body in order to move energy through through it. So we've certainly seen Glimmer do that plenty. We definitely see Glimmer do that plenty, and it also comes into kind of the theatrical understanding of gestural ritual, like gestural magic. So mm-hmm. it's very theatrical. It's a theater choice. To you yes. know, you can't. You're not going to stand there with your arms crossed and say, you know, poof, you're a dog. You know, unless you're do- <laughs> unless you're doing it like very intentionally. You're going to need to show with your body that you are making a magic the same way that you're showing that you're fighting on a stage, the same way you're showing that you're picking up a glass. So you're making of the magic with the big things. So lovely. Those are kind of the three components of how sorcerer magic works on Etheria. And of course, then we have the others where are the princess magic. Princesses get their magic from their connection to the runestones. And then we have Raz, who is magic. We're learning more about the magical technology of Etheria. Yay, magic! Yay, queer magic! Yay, queer magic! Queer magic! Fuck yeah! We learn that Castispella is Micah's sister, Glimmer's dad's, Glimmer's late dad's sister. And yes. Adora does not know what an aunt is. That's right. Adora never knew what an aunt was, which makes perfect sense. It shows again that she has no notion of familial ties or community, mm-hmm. which gives us all sad hearts again. Yeah, except for Shadow Weaver, which we learned. Yes. Um, but so we have established that Adora would like a tour, even though Glimmer vociferously doesn't want to have to endure it again. She really, again, aside from not wanting to get sucked into what Aunt Casta wants to do, she's not being a gracious host to Adora at all. She's not asking for Adora's input on anything when Aunt Casta says, would you like a tour? Would you like this? She doesn't even look at Adora. So to be fair, maybe Adora would like a tour. Yeah. Just saying. I think so too. So we get to this big room that's full of ancient ceremonial crystals that will definitely not be smashed by the end of the episode. Definitely not. I mean, why would they be smashed? That does not make sense. Because they're beautiful and perfect. So Aunt Casta then explains to Adora how their monthly moon ceremony keeps them protected from the outside world and invites them to come tonight where everything is sure to go smoothly and without incident. What could possibly go wrong? What could indeed? And again, I'm going to point out here, gayest moment, nom, number whatever, monthly moon ceremony. Monthly moon ceremony is really gay. Yes. That's like, reminds me of the original, you know, moon cup. (laughs) The little menstrual blood collector 
you know, that you pop inside. Yeah, they well, they called. They had moon cups and they had the the, the Luna and it, like right, all but, of them were yeah, called after fucking before, moons. Before they got to have lots of different brands and lots of choices, it was like Luna cup or moon cup. And they were like rubber. Yep. Anyway, so we're looking at the statues in the Hall of yes. Sorcerers. The first one is King Micah, who Aunt Castispella tells us is her brother, Glimmer's father. Adora realizes what the word aunt means. But then uh-huh. we continue down the point. We're in the Hall of Sorcerers now. We're looking at all the statues of the former leaders of Mysticor. Mm. And as we continue down the hall, Adora spots another statue that she and we immediately clock as Shadow Weaver. Even if we don't fully get it or understand how or why right away, did we not all fully clock that immediately as Shadow I Weaver? I mean, we did. I think Adora clocked it as what the fuck. Yeah, she she understands on a gut level. Yeah. But she, yeah. She's, she hasn't fully faced up to anything yet at this point. It, hit, it makes her uncomfortable. Something is ticking and she's like, oh, she gets a bad feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about how we find this? Well, we were just walking down the Hall of Sorcerers. No, no. I mean, not, not the condition in which the statue is presented to us. Sure. How? I mean, I thought it was the same as all the others, but yeah, go ahead. So, you know, uh, Castasella Spella says that the light spinner is a scar in Mr. Course Pass. When you see it, it is scorched. Like they tried to. I didn't see the scorch. The wall itself is damaged looking. Because I was wondering the whole time, like, why have they not taken this down? Do they not know about Germany? It looks like. <laughs> the classic example. It is a classic example. Um, no, it looks like if you go back and look at it, it looks like it was. Okay. They, they tried to scour it away, but it could never go. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Um, in terms of visual storytelling, surprise, surprise, it is shown, you guessed it, in shadow. Yep. Oh, and what was this mysterious person's statue, this mysterious name of this person who is also wearing a mask? The mysterious name of this mysterious mask wearer is Light Spinner. Gee, if only there would be yes. some sort of shadow version of that name. Indeed, Light Spinner, a scar on Mysticor's past. She sought power and control above all else. And she was cast out, although some say she never really left. That she's biding her time, waiting to exact her revenge. But those are only children's tales, of course. On with the tour. So yes, we understand the whole, like, telling spooky stories is children's tales. But as we learned later, she was a teacher. Like, her main yes. drive in life was to teach children. Well, do we think that was really her main drive in life? Or that was what she did for a living. I think she was a jacked up teacher. I think that she was a teacher who really did find joy in teaching because it allowed her, she was a corrupted teacher. So it allowed her to have, you know, power over children and then have them be her will. She did the same thing when she went to, when she went to the horde. Yeah. She was a corrupted teacher. I think that's a a necessary qualifier. Yes. She was a corrupted teacher. So the fact that this is a children's tale, this is a story that children tell is also, you know, means it is significant. It means something because the children tell stories of the spooky bad teacher, too. Yes, of course. So. Also, she's Voldemort. Also, uh, is by she? By this comparison. Is she? Some say she never really left. She's um, biding her time. Yeah, yeah. She lost power, but she's not gone. Uh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and I have in my notes, oh, how wrong you are, Casta. <laughs> Indeed. But while the others move on to the next statue, Adora stays transfixed. It's almost as if she may have figured something out. It's almost as if she's preoccupied. And then she she sees the shadow of the shadow spy on the opposite wall. Yep. And she only has a second to react like, ah, before Bo and Glimmer are back. And she goes into a fighting stance. Yeah. 
And they're full of enthusiasm and obliviousness to tell her that it's finally beach time. Yep. And Glimmer's like, you, it's worse than we thought. Yeah, yep. it is worse than you thought. Yeah. But then they finally notice that she is like, yeah, not okay. Right. They start to notice that she's in like a full fighting stance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that continues to escalate throughout the episode as well. Um, yes. her, her reactions escalate. Um, yes. So Glimmer says, it's worse than we thought. You need warm sand and calming waves stat. And I added yeah. and an Ativan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much, so much more effective in combo, those things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they go off for their cloud beach relaxation. But as soon as they turn their backs, the fucking shadow spy fully rises up behind them. And only we know. We, only, the audience. Only we know. And then Shadow Weaver is like, all right, motherfuckers, it's time. So now there's a really great shot in the Black Garnet Chamber. It's one of those like zoom outs mm-hmm. from one frame into another frame into another frame. We see the Shadow Spy's view of the best friend squad in Mysticor. And then it pulls back into Shadow Weaver's view of it framed in the scrying bowl. And then we see Shadow Weaver standing over it. And it's all one continuous zoom out. Yeah, that is so cool. It's a great shot visually. Yeah, a beautiful shot. And then we go to the beach. Yeah, and all she says, as you just said, is it's time for something more. And then this huge amount of shadows. It's like mm-hmm. fl- shadows as flame like yes. rises up around her. Yes, it's gorgeous. And that's it. And that's it. Then we go back to the Hall of Sorcerers for one hot sec. Yeah. We see the newer and bigger Shadow Spy. Yeah. Like Shadow Spy 2.0. It's like roughly human sized and shaped. And yep. it has her little evil gem right in the middle of its forehead. Yeah, it's like the Terminator. It's like the yeah, first movie. Yeah, we just see it rise up and suss out Mysticor like a smug little fuck. And that's it. Yep. Just want you to know it's here. Yep. And then we go to the cloud beach. And then we go to the beach and Adora has no idea what to fucking do at the beach. And Adora, I feel you. I get it. If I wanted to lay down somewhere, I'd take a nap. But she's like, so what but do also, I do? who lies on the beach fully clothed? Well, that was my next thing is like, poor sweet baby Adora. <laughs> but they're all doing it. Yeah, I think, well, Bo just straight up, you know, cocks out. And I love taking naps outside. Like, I'm definitely a napping outside person. But you have to be tired and ready for a nap for that to be a good idea. Well, I mean, like, I could be like, oh, I had a picnic and I ate too much and I'm a very sleepy bear. I am going to take <laughs> a nap under this tree. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Doesn't it? Right? Yes. But so, yes. like... But, like, just being like, cool, we're here. Relax now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Like, but even for people who can come to the beach and lie down on their towel to start out their beach experience, you're not just going to lie there in all of your stiff, all day, every day clothing, like with your belts and your shoes and your socks and your undergarments and all that shit. Like, yeah, no. Gl- even Glimmer. Should be like, oh, they, they should have been wearing their steam grotto bathing suit, whatever those were, on the beach too. Just saying. That would have been a better way to start. And also, on a real beach, you can start off by swimming or floating. Yeah, and that's- You cannot the- swim- on the cloud beach. That's the good thing. Or like you, you start off in the, you start off, you're laying down, you're on your towel, you know, there's some music happening. Perfume brought the party kale. Exactly. You break out the party kale. Someone's, you know, someone has their Bluetooth speaker. But I'm also saying on the other side of that, there's people who don't want to start on the sand at all. There's people who need to start in the ocean. Right, exactly. We as native coastal dwellers have to appreciate that fact. 
I don't want to start on the sand. I have to go in the ocean first. Bo is asleep before Glimmer has even finished telling Adora what the beach is. Yep. So he's totally out. And Glimmer at least explains a little bit. She says, you know, why don't you give it a try? But they're both fully in their own vacation mode, Mm -hmm. way more than guiding their friend Adora, who they know is super stressed, if nothing Mm -hmm. else, into her type of relaxation of choice. Yeah. And Adora is like, okay, I'm going to try. Yes. Like, is literally just laying there being like, what does relaxing thing do? I yeah, make him sound. Relax good. The most adorable sequence of lifelong soldier tries to lie in a towel and relax. <laughs> <laughs> she stares around randomly at clouds, makes funny random noises, which quickly descend into dyspeptic dog sounds. Oh my god, that's so good. Dyspeptic that's is another great word. Yes. I love that you. word. And those little noises she makes are perfect. She starts out sort of optimistic with her little boop-bitty-boop noises, and then it turns into, I'm going to die if you make me lie here for one more second. Please give me permission to sit up, which she, she somehow thinks she needs permission. Uh-huh. <laughs> Soldier Adora. Oh. Yeah. What I have in all caps is, this is me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you need this, to hit things. This is me. I need to. I need to hit things. Yeah. Well, it doesn't work for everybody. We're gonna have to upgrade this bitch yep. to Steam Grotto. Cause yeah, Bo Steam is up Grotto. For whatever. So this is one of my choices for one of the gayest moments, um, which is actually I have this as one of the queerest moments because two reasons. Yes. One, the whatever they are wearing as swimwear mm-hmm. is agnostic for gender and body. So. Oh, so when you say agnostic yeah. you really mean totally genderless yeah yes it's genderless etheria does not have the idea of gendered bathing suits which holy crap i want to move there right now that gendered bathing suits have been a huge 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 issue my entire life and my entire journey through my own gender and i finally found like really awesome like tank suits that i look like an old-timey like muscle man and i don't feel like i'm like wearing a weird like bathing suit that is designed to you know exacerbate particular parts of the body that i was born in yes I can see it, like classical 1930s. Yeah, and it looked yeah. good, too. It's black. It's got, like, piping on it. I No shit. Dear listeners, I had a pyramid tattooed in the dead center of my chest. Um, So when I wear this bathing suit, I look like I am the captain of the Illuminati swim team. That is so awesome. I don't think I have a proper reaction to that. Awesome. It won't, like... Blow out my microphone over here, because that is just so awesome. Anyway, so I am super about Etheria um, having swimwear that respects all of the genders. And this leads into, uh, so there is a very common headcanon that was kind of started in like the first season. This was pointed to as a thing that people were able to draw from, that um, Bo is trans. Yes. And they, you know, kind of pointed to like the wrapping... Bo is wearing a chest wrap and a couple of other things, but you know, this, this, the, the wrapping of Bo's chest and the fact that throughout the first and maybe even to the second series, uh, season, Bo's voice drops and you know, Bo is supposed to be in a, you know, understood to be an older teenager, right? Like Bo is probably around Adora's age, 18, 19. Your voice generally does not crack and drop around that time unless you're starting testosterone and your voice drops. So yeah, 
So there, you know, there are a couple of, those are a couple of things. Um, I love this headcanon. I accept this headcanon because I accept any headcanon that uh, has more trans people um, everywhere all the time forever. But, and Noel accepts it as headcanon for the pure purpose of, once again, as Noel has said before, if he was going to create a trans character, he's going to cast a trans person to portray exactly. this character. Exactly. So... Bo is trans headcanon. Perfume is trans headcanon. I love them all. Absolutely. And Noelle, I mean, I pulled a quote if we wanted to be able to have a specific quote of Noelle from an interview with a Digital Spy from this particular scene. Um, and Noelle says, quote, It's a fan theory that I'm very, very fond of. I think if anyone, especially trans people, can see themselves in Bo, it's incredible. And I'm very, very happy to be able to bring a masculine character who redefines masculinity in just a very positive, aspirational way. But also, they said they're hesitant to canonize it because if that had been their intention, as you said, they would have cast a trans actor and made intentional choices around it mm -hmm. holistically, not just they would have cast a trans actor. Right, right. Aww. And I also really thought that the steam grotto bathing suits that, you know, that style was very much a nod to gender equity. Because, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. again, like if the female characters have to cover their nipples, then so do the male characters. Because yes. they can't show a bunch of topless people in an all ages cartoon. I like that too, but I'm just as happy to embrace transbo totally and i think that 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 was the intention of the storyboard artists and the creators it's something that i've noticed in burlesque too with the community that you know i i, I had been a part of um is that everybody wears pasties mm -hmm. so. why not pasties the more are great. pasties the merrier they're super fun to make too so let's move on to the experience of the steam grotto shall we yes Let's do it. So Glimmer, I think, is a little bit more attentive to Adora in the steam grotto than she was on the beach. She's more attentive to the fact that Adora isn't just going to plop down and relax mm -hmm. like they are, that she can't do that and that she needs more guidance. Mm -hmm. So Glimmer tells Adora how the hot pools in the steam grotto are full of magical healing magic. Magic. <laughs> no, magical he healing minerals, and the sorcerers use them to cleanse themselves of worry and fear before big ceremonies or spells. And so while she's explaining this, she's leading Adora by the hands, with both hands into the pool, telling her to breathe deeply and, you know, focus, focus on your breath, telling her what to focus on, how to ease her into this experience rather than just plopping down and saying, okay, you know, now you relax. Mm -hmm. And also... I think an honorable mention gayest moment right now is Glimmer's baby angel wings. Yes, I definitely had that as an honorable mention as well, because they look like baby gay bisexual back back tattoos. <sighs> they do. They do. I mean, and they also look like baby bisexual wings for real. Yes. You know, she is the baby bisexual. Her mother is the queen. Everything about Glimmer. Her mother is the bisexual angel queen. Glimmer is the bisexual angel baby. Yeah, and everything about Glimmer is just so fucking bisexual. <laughs> yeah, but I then love the it. next moment, the very next moment is an equal contender because then they wake up piled together in the hot tub. See, I definitely had that as the gayest moment because it's literally like, it's Glimmer definitely being like, I'm asleep on you. Yep. And, and I do definitely think it's kind of Glimmer has a little baby crush on Adora. I don't know. I also think that she's the kind of baby queer who wants to be taken under the wing of the older queers in a in a mentorish way and in their friendship i feel like has never had those undertones but it's open to interpretation i am not I the boss i honestly think that you can hold both of those as true you can you absolutely can either way it it gay 
It gay. Either way, Either it gay. Either way, it gay. Yes. It gay. So that's that's actually that is a nomination for an actual nomination, not an honorable yes. for. We all yes, know yes, that yes. you all know that we all know that someone knows that kind of us that we all know that gay shit's happening. All right. <laughs> all right. But then it's so sad because they only get this one moment. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Dora was asleep. She wakes up and gets this one moment of awake and aware relaxation before Shadow Weaver shows up because she can't stand seeing Adora having healthy relationships. <laughs> no, right? because she has to dictate every single one of Adora's relationships. Yes. So that's when we see the room fill with the dark shadows and just the ominous outline of Shadow Weaver appears. And again, we hear her calling out to Adora in that creepy stalkerish voice. She's not screaming at her like, like she does with Catra. Right. She never says, Adora! She's mm-hmm. Adora. Mm-hmm. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come I back am to the not a zone. <laughs> so all these shadows rise up. Adora reacts to it. She only has enough time to, you know, accidentally dunk Glimmer in the hot water, bolt out and get her sword, and the shadows disappear immediately. But then Bo and Glimmer are alerted to the fact that something's up. And as soon as the mist clears and they see that all the shadows are gone, they're like, You brought your sword in a steam grotto? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't even know who Shadow Weaver is yet because Adora has never mentioned her. Yes, exactly. So this is um, the second escalation of Adora's. Well, it's the second, but it's an escalation of Adora's reactions. So we start with Adora yes. just kind of being twitchy, and then we, you know, see Adora like you know stumbling, and then we see Adora she she's in fighting stance, and now we see Adora reaching for a weapon. Yes. So Adora's trauma reactions are getting uh, more and more intense as she continues to be re-triggered. Yes. Like compounding trauma re- responses. Yes. So that's fun. Oh, yeah. It's the best. Oh, yeah. It's the best. So then Adora explains to Bo and Glimmer who Shadow Weaver is to her. Can I read this line from Adora? Sure. Because I really do. like this line. Oh, I'm sure. I think I have the same line written down. Please, please go ahead. So Adora says, Shadow Weaver raised me in the horde. She taught me how to read and tie my boots and how to subvert the enemy and be victorious in battle. <laughs> I know. That is the most fantastic line. It's a great line. And it's also... So sad. Oh, it is of course. fucking devastating. Like this is one of the reasons why I love the show so much because yes. it is able to have, and it's not dark humor either. It is a legitimately funny line, but this is uh, the underpinnings of it is so. But it also contains the realness of the experience that is so hard to face dead on. You can't face issues like this dead on in a children's show. No, and and a person can't face the issues like this dead on. Like if you talk to somebody that, yeah, you that's know, true. you talk to somebody that has lived a, a, a traumatic life, particularly with parents that have been abusive or, or have traumatized them in particular ways, they'll say stuff that they think is totally fucking normal. Yep. And that's what happens to Adora here. She's like, she taught me how to subvert the enemy and be victorious in battle. And Glimmer kind of pumps up and is like, okay, sure, mom stuff. Yeah, Glimmer doesn't give the reaction of like, what the fuck? Yeah. She sort of processes it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And then Adora is like, no, commanding officer stuff. And then it hits Adora. Yes. And like you you hear the beat yep. and she exhales and she realizes what it is. Because yes. she's she's at this point, she's been exposed to families. Mm-hmm. So she's she's met an aunt and she's met a mom. Mm-hmm. So and she's she now can, can die to see the difference between what an aunt does and what a mom does and can see that Shadow Weaver was a mom figure. It's a huge it's a huge moment for her in yeah. her steps through her 
her own processing Mm -hmm. of her trauma, what has happened to her, who she is, where she's going, where Mm -hmm. she wants to go. Again, like we said, you can't run away from your trauma. It's your shadow. It's in you. It's with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. So she has to face these things. But as you said, like you can't just face up to all your trauma at once. Your brain would and body would completely shut down. But so this is an important, a really important conscious moment for Adora mm-hmm. that she's consciously, like you said, it's consciously clicking into place for her. Right. That Shadow Weaver is her mother figure. Yeah. And Glimmer is like, okay, but she's not here. And Adora is, uh, Adora is triggered. You know, she's like, you yeah. don't know what she's, she's, she can totally be here. You don't know what she's capable of. Yeah. Like this entire conversation if put into any context, that's not you yeah. can you can take this out of this context and put it into like a straight drama, um, and it would fit. Yeah, I mean, you could put it into a dialogue between any two people, yeah. one yeah. of whom is running from an abuser, yeah, and the other person is trying to comfort them and be like, "Well, you're safe now. It's fine. They can't possibly be here." And, and you're the like, person you don't know who's that. running from the abuse is like, "Well, you don't know that. You can't promise that." Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then we have Bo has Bo's line right here. So as we've been kind of going through, um, there's always like one or two lines within the episode that kind of are like the thesis statement of the episode. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is the thesis statement of the episode, like the emotional underpinning and the thesis is. Sounds like the Shadow Weaver really did a number on you growing up, but you're okay now. You got away from you her. You got away from her. Do you want to mm-hmm. try something else? And Bo is just being an, an, a phenomenal emotional friend. We could get massages. We could find something to hit if that would work better. Yeah. And like, that's that's it. Bo with the thesis statement. Yeah. That is an awesome way of uh, framing it. And I can't n- not agree with that. But also in the context of this moment, mm-hmm. he is being emotionally supportive, but he's still undercutting any notion that he actually believes what she is saying, that there is something wrong here for real. Yes. He's sort of invalidating her because he's brushing off her feelings that something is wrong by chalking it up to her past trauma. Mm. And so he's unintentionally on board with the gaslighting now, even though he doesn't know it. So it's like she feels loved, but she doesn't feel listened to. Yeah, exactly. So let's see. So we're cool. Glimmer and uh, Adora is like, nah, just give me some space. And they respect her space. And they respect her space. But then Adora hears that. But as them. soon as they leave, yeah. the second they leave. I think she's going nuts. Did she hear her in there? More gaslighting. That's, you know, more Shadow Weaver. It's more, yes, it's Shadow Weaver doing it. And Adora's like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Like literal, that is like. Yes. Textbook definition, uh, gaslighting. Yes. She walks in the hall and no one's there. She's ready to confront them. And then she's saying, I'm not crazy to no one. To no one. Which, oh God. Yeah. (laughs) So the music lets you know that this does not bode well. Just in case you didn't pick up on it yourself. The music will tip you off. Yeah, that's that's the great thing about cinema. (sighs) And then we fade back to the Hall of Sorcerers later that night. And Adora's staring at the light spinner one, being like, you're just a statue. There's no way Shadow Weaver can be here. And also, when we have, there's one shot where we're looking from over the statue's shoulder. And so Adora looking up at the statue, she is tiny in comparison to the size mm-hmm. of the statue. Yep. And that's just great visual metaphor, visual framing for she feels tiny compared yeah. to Shadow Weaver, even though she's basically an adult now. That's why I count on you for all the good visual stuff, Jenny. Oh, thank you. So it's just a stupid statue. A shadow spy comes at her and Adora turns into She-Ra. Yeah, I mean, and this time the shadow spy physically attacks her and throws her off her feet. Yep. Everything she's seen up till now, she could tell herself, did I really see that? 
or did I not see it? But this mm-hmm. time, there's no way she can think maybe she just imagined it because it physically threw her off her feet. And here is what I have. So this is a, this is a really big escalation of uh, trauma, yeah. which is you turn into something else. So I have that here as an observation that Adora is so triggered she disassociates. Mm. And her transformation here is markedly different yes. from the transformations we've seen so far. Exactly. The way that I've read it is used as uh, Adora as a metaphor. I think it actually, yeah, I'm going with metaphor here um, yeah. for disassociating. I think that works. I hadn't thought of that, but I totally think that works. So because, so she disassociates, first thing she hears is Catra. Yep. Because this time we've never seen her transform in a panicky state before. Exactly. She says, for the honor of Grayskull, in like one word. Mm-hmm. Yep. She disassociates to protect herself. Yes. And the first thing she says after she thinks she hears Catra's voice saying, hey, Adora, of course. Of course. She says, whatever you're doing, I won't let you get away with it. Uh-huh. Which immediately she's admitting she has no idea what's going on, but mm-hmm. she's still blindly pushing forward, mm-hmm. both because that's her conditioned military response and because she's triggered and she's just reacting. She's not yep. calculating her moves. She's not using her commander training. Exactly. She's just blindly reacting right yep, now. Yep, she's in a disassociative state and you can't really make decisions in a disassociative state so you react. Nope. She's purely exactly. reacting. And then we have Catra's voice saying, what do you think? Shadow Weaver controls us both. She always has. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm like, so is this Shadow Weaver actually, is this Shadow Weaver quote unquote actually saying it or is this Shadow Weaver's spell saying the things that are happening in Adora's brain about this? Because I think it's that one. Because I think it's that. Because then we kind of go through, because they're all insecurities, right? So we go through. Yeah. I I think it's the latter. Yeah. Because so she chases Catra. Yep. Catra come back. It always will be Catra come back. It will always be Catra come back. And of course, Catra leads her to the Lunarium full of all the delicate crystals. No, before we get to the delicate crystals, though, we have, so she chases Catra and then we hear Hordak. Yes. And so immediately then Hordak's here and he says, we had such high hopes for you, Force Captain. Disappointing. Does the Rebellion truly think you can save them? Nothing can stop the Horde. Least of all, you. Yep. So all these are insecurities that she holds very tight to her chest. And then we have, you will lead them all all every Ethereum to their complete and utter annihilation. Yeah. And that is when she literally turns away, closes her eyes and covers her ears. Yep. She is having her guts ripped out and she can't respond. And swings her sword. She surely reacts. Like, I had to pause this and walk away because it was so gut-wrenching and it hits so close to home. And I had to pause it and walk away and... Um, lay in the bath and go, <laughs> how'd that work out for you? Didn't work out well. So I came oh. back and I watched it. <laughs> so then, you know, you got something to hit and you went to the steam grotto. And I got something to hit. I went to the steam grotto. I woke up with a bisexual snuggling with me. It was great. Yay. And so we're there and she fucks up the, she fucks up some shit in Lunarium. But also she sees his image in the mirror. That's true. Oh, yeah. More mirror stuff, right? So she sees she sees this she sees this image of Hordak in the mirror and she blasts it. She blasts so she thinks he's really behind her. Yeah. Because she's seeing him in the mirror. So she blasts all these crystals behind her. So she's King Reaction of Reaction Bill. Yeah. And then the real world kind of slaps her in the face and Caster runs mm-hmm. in and, and everything like- just comes rushing back in. Like reality comes back in yep. in this like single swooping moment. 
Yeah. That is very tangible. Yeah. And it, and uh, you know, it's when you're knocked out of a dissociative state, like everything just rushes at you Mm -hmm. at once. And all of a sudden, you know, Casta is, they broke all the shit. She is like completely speechless with what have you done this? Yeah. But luckily, Adora did not destroy the lenses that protect Mysticor. Phew. That is lucky. She just destroyed a bunch of other ancient yeah. Irreplaceable crystals. Yeah, that's fine. Who hasn't done that? And so, of course, Bow and Glimmer do come immediately to her defense. Because mm-hmm. um, Aunt Caston now is like, "Who is this? Who you hang out with?" Yeah, <laughs> your friend just destroyed a thousand years worth of sacred writings. Yeah. Um, and Bow and Glimmer immediately say she didn't mean to. She would never. Mm-hmm. And then we see Aunt Casta storm off, and Glimmer follows her, and Adora continues to try to apologize and glimmer says don't worry i'll handle it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Bo says to adora and to me this came off as like a little bit more not aggressive but a little bit more like you listen to me now mm-hmm. Bo says the horde isn't here you need to get some sleep right but not even in a way like that was aimed at like compassion for her it's just the tone a little bit to me was more like you need to get over this now Hmm. The horde isn't here. You need to get some sleep. I I definitely hear that. I think he was definitely taking a firm, a firm stance here. But I think it was more of a out of concern than of like anger. I just think it was equal parts. The tone. I mean, this is a tiny thing, and mm-hmm. certainly there's no right or wrong answer. This is just like how you take it when it comes to someone's tone of voice. It's like how you take it. I read it. Because up until now, everything he said to her has has been directed only for her concern and her welfare. Mm -hmm. And this was a little bit more impatient, like, all right, I keep giving you chances to relax and help yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to actually do it now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's having an impact now. Right. Like, if I were in Adora's shoes, I sort of felt a little bit of anxiety, like, okay, I keep getting chances yeah. No, I get you. I get you. And now look how I fucked up. And even my friend who's always the the one who says it's fine, everything's going to be okay, is getting impatient. Mm-hmm. I hear you. But also still no one is believing her that something was actually there. Exactly. Because they're and- all still chalking it up to the fact that she's so stressed. Stressed. Right. Stress. Exactly. So, but Adora's like, okay, I'll go try to sleep. And as soon as everyone has left the room... Another little cameo from the Shadow Spy. Mm-hmm. Hey, bitches. Hey, bitches. Hiss. Hiss. <laughs> so then Adora goes to her guest room. And of course, can Adora sleep? No, never. Certainly not now. When she's been instructed to. And yeah. And also, she's lying on her bed in her full outfit with jacket and shoes on. Mm-hmm. Who's going to fall asleep like that? Um, Somebody that is really super deeply traumatized and feels like they have to get up and leave at a moment's notice. Mm, fair. Yeah. Okay, but there's a knock on the door. Who could it be? You know, if I was watching the show, which mm-hmm. I did, I would have guessed that it would have been a shadow spy in the guise of Glimmer. <gasps> Ten points for meth. Gold stars. But poor sweet baby Adora doesn't know that. No. And once again, gl- this shadow Glimmer is playing on Adora's insecurities, right? So we had we had the yeah, Horde. Yeah, she's terrible. The Horde family insecurities, and now it's, you know... Um, She's telling Adora that every bad thing about herself is true. Mm-hmm. Every bad thing about herself that she has imagined is true. Yep. I thought you were a friend. You're, you know, you've ruined everything mm-hmm. I've worked for. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not a friend. Adora's just fucked up. I mean, I don't blame her. That's fucked up for anyone to hear. Of course. She's, she's already so upset and so racked with guilt. Yeah. 
yeah. for what she has brought about, mm-hmm. even though, you know, nobody has seen what she has seen and nobody believes her that she's seen it. Yeah. She's still racked with guilt. She's racked with guilt. And then back in the Lunarium. And Casta's doing her shit. She's she's doing some sigil magic there. She's doing the the. Are you referring to the monthly moon ceremony? I'm referring to the monthly moon ceremony where she is doing she's doing this very similar. Once again, we're doing we're dealing with a mirror again. She's literally in the lunarium, surrounded by mirrors, mirroring the spell that was in the beginning of the episode. That's Shadow Weaver doing. Making moon magic. Casta Spella is doing basic maintenance. So she's doing basic maintenance magic. Yeah, she's rebooting yeah, her she's... whole security system. Yes. But, oops, all shadows. We know that Bo and Glimmer are both concerned about Adora, but they both think she's sleeping. Right. We know something bad's about to happen. We definitely know something bad's about to happen. And then the gay rainbow lights start to do their thing. Yep. But then, oh no, everything turns black. Mm-hmm. Boom, black shadows explode out of good gay magic bowl. Good, as opposed to um, spooky scrying bowl. Yeah, yeah. Got to keep our scrying bowls properly labeled and separated. Oh, I love that. I love the good gay magic bowl versus spooky scrying bowl. That's great. Absolutely. Don't want to mix those two up. Definitely not. Well, I guess you'll just have neutral cauldron if you do that. <laughs> sure. Neutral cauldron. So for for brevity's sake, we can just say boom, spooky magic, boom, shadow weaver owns this room. Everybody's freaked out, and then they all pass out like in a hot sack. Meanwhile, Adora is on her way running from Mysticor, yes. where Bo, wink nudge, you know, runs and says, we have to get out of here. Mm-hmm. The protection spell is failing. We need to go. And he also says, everything that's about to happen is your fault, Adora. And Adora's like, wait a second. She also puts her hand through his shadow yep. arm. Yep. And is like, wait a second. Bo would never say this. Also, you aren't tangible. Yes. More gasping. There's so much gasping in this episode. So much gasping. So now Adora really knows for sure that there is really, truly something wrong. And she's not imagining it. Yep. And she turns and runs back heroically. Yep. To the Lunarium. And she sees everyone lying around, either unconscious or dead. She's maybe not sure right away. But then she sees Bone Glimmer, and they're definitely alive. She sees them, you know, with their chest moving and groaning and making unconscious noises. Mm-hmm. Shadow Weaver, her shadow figure, comes out of the bowl, finally, the bowl of dark magic, mm-hmm. and calls again, Adora. Mm-hmm. And so what I have here is we have the lovely visual motif that runs throughout the show of Shadow Weaver being a toxic narcissistic parent and cradles Adora's face in her hand. Uh, oh my God. So creepy. It's so super creepy, right? But this is also a motif that is used throughout the show yep. of intimacy. It's a very intimate, it's an intimate act and it's used uh, in familial intimacy, uh, it's used with romantic intimacy. Like the idea of touching someone's face and cradling somebody's face in your hands is one that is visually used in the show a lot. Yes, but I feel like it's especially used with Shadow Weaver in reference to Catra and Adora. Yes, in the way she does it without consent yep. and with her gaslighting and her manipulation. Yep, with different intentions with the both of them too. Like she'll like grasp Catra's face with the door. It's a it's the soft caress of evil. Yes. Oh, that is perfectly put. Thank you. Yes. I am good with words. You are. You're a wordsmith. 
And then Shadow Weaver is so confident in all of her evil plans that she proceeds to tell Adora everything she's about to do. Because that always works out. Spooky exposition. Spooky exposition. exposition. When the eclipse is over, the shield will be down and the horde will conquer Mysticor and bring you home to me. Yo, obsessed. So personal. Obsessed. Get a life, Shadow Weaver. <laughs> Adora does not consent. Heck no. Yeah, so that's one of the core threads of this episode is Adora coming to understand that Shadow Weaver is her mother figure, mm-hmm. check, that her mother figure has been horribly abusive and mm-hmm. manipulative to her her entire life, check. check, and that she doesn't, I don't have to do what you say anymore, yep. check. check. That is, you know, the flow of this episode. And then when we have the big reveal, I will stop you. Why? To help these people? They don't understand you. They did not understand me when I walked among them as light spinner. <gasps> A truth yes! none of us saw. No, I am shocked. I am shocked. Why would somebody named Light Spinner change their name to Shadow Weaver? Indeed. And also, you know, when she says, just as they didn't understand me, they feared my dark power. I mean, when you say it like that, yeah, it almost right? seems reasonable. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. You know, well, I guess someone would fear your dark power. Yes. Yeah. And of course, it makes perfect sense that Adora is the same. Like, why Why would Adora feel like she doesn't wield any dark power? Yeah. But Shadow Weaver's like, oh, they'll never understand you just like they didn't understand me. You know, it's a bullshit parallel. But all of the gaslighting... Mm-hmm. You know, and all of the mind games that she's already played to yep. try to convince Adora that she's powerless without Shadow Weaver, yep. that she has no sense of self without Shadow Weaver, has just been meant to misdirect her. Yep. And this is classic narcissistic parent stuff. Mm. Over-identifying with the actions uh, that your child is doing, making sure that the actions that your your child has are not only reflective of you, but they are like essentially your, they are an extension of you. Mm-hmm. So we have that here. They don't understand you just like they didn't understand me. And then once Adora turns it into Shira, it's the Shadow Weaver. You know deep down what I say is true. You are the ambitious, mm-hmm. cutthroat, ruthless warrior I raised you to be. And that, once again, is the narcissistic parent type, you know, literally using Adora as an extension of herself. And at that point, Adora is verbally saying no. She's yep. saying no over and over, but she's not transforming into Shira. She drops the sword yep. and falls to her knees. She has her arms wrapped around herself. This Mm -hmm. is more than a position of defeat. This is like a position of submission. You know, defeat gives the idea of a military context that you're like, okay, I give up, you win. This is, you know, much more like submission to an abuser, submission to a gruesome fate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is... You know, because it's self-defensive on a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And... You know, Shadow Weaver feeds more bullshit. The princesses don't care about you. They just want to use you for your strength. Right. Return to the Fright Zone. Rule by my side and Adora. So I can use your strength. Yeah. That's just the subtext. Yeah, exactly. And Adora. She refuses. Adora breaks out. This is a huge yes. thing. Yeah, she does it as herself, not as Shira. These are my friends. They've been kind to me. Mm-hmm. Something that you never were. And Adora. Shadow Weaver's like narcissistic parent crap, blurp, blurp. Mm-hmm. And Adora recognizes it and, and vocalizes it, verbalizes yes. it. She says to Shadow Weaver, you never loved me. You just played your twisted mind games. I'm none of the things you say I am. Mm-hmm. You know, break on through to the other side, girl. Break on through. Um, Adora stands from her formerly prone position, from that incredibly self-protective mm-hmm. position she was just in on the floor, you know, and the music changes with her, changes from the despaired refrain to the hero's refrain. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, it's kind of a Captain Marvely moment for me yeah. in the in the scene near the end where she is being forced to deal with the Supreme Intelligence mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they force her to watch every image of every time she's ever fallen down and been berated in her life. Mm-hmm. But then she breaks out and forces them to watch the next moment in all of those sequences was where she stood back up again. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, I do not consent. I'm not like you. You're bitter and cruel. And you're the one who used me. You hurt my friends. So now you're gonna pay. Yeah. That's how you know. It's big damn hero time. But then more exposition. It's already too late. The eclipse will be over in moments. Mr. Carr will fall. And it will all be your fault. Don't but it's not. No, it's never too late. And this is when we defeat the bad guy with love and light. And she still hasn't transformed. Yep. Adora is casting out the shadows. Mm-hmm. Adora mm-hmm. is realizing that the old, you can't run from your shadows. You have to put a light on your shadows and face she your shadows. She fights old school. So she fights her shadows with light. And this is the first time the Sword of Protection transforms into something else. That's true. It transforms into a shield. It turns into a shield. So she realizes that her sword of protection can also protect her. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a, what a rich text this episode is. Oh, I know. And Shadow Weaver gets blasted with some good old-fashioned gay rainbow light beams. Which, you know, is definitely a weapon that She-Ra has in, in her command. Oh, yeah. But it's so great gay to rainbow see light a, beams. a bad guy getting felled by forces of good rather than just like, you're evil, so I'm going to stab you. Right. And I will defeat you with more blood and gore the way you're trying to defeat me with blood and gore. It's like, nah. I'm going to defeat you with gay. Yes. I'm going to shoot gay at you. I'm going to defeat you with joy and love and friendship. And friendship and so much gay. So much gay. That should be our next gayest moment nomination when Shadow Weaver falls to the magical gay lights. Yeah, I'm into that. I'm into that. So yeah, Shadow Weaver pulls more narcissistic parent bullshit. Adora's like, fuck this. Yep. And then we have Adora's uh, Sarah from the Labyrinth moment. I'm not going back. You have no power over me anymore. (laughs) And verbalizing that is really important because these are realizations that she's just come to. And I think a lot of people can relate to this and identify with this, even when it comes to coming out. For anyone who didn't like intrinsically understand that they were queer from baby age in terms of language, like I understood that I was queer from a very young age, but I didn't have language for it and I couldn't have described it and talked about it up until I was, you know, 13 and something happened. There was, you know, a long series of events, like a year long crush. And eventually the words pop into your head like, holy shit, I'm fucking gay. I am gay. Yeah. And she has just had this moment, a similar type of moment where she's had her conscious brain has had a breakthrough because the vast majority of our brains are subconscious. Yep. It's just true. Um, And she's had a conscious breakthrough and verbalized something that she could not have moved on with her processing of her trauma in order to move past it. She could not have moved on with her processing without consciously realizing this and verbalizing it. Oh, yay. Power of language. Yay. And then Adora is free of this particular metaphor. She saves everybody. She saves Lunarium. She saves Mysticor. Yay. She saves saves the gay moon place. Yes, she did. And all the gay sorcerers and all the cloud beaches and steam grottos. Casta takes her. 
under her wing and says, Glimmer chooses her friends well. I'll knit you a sweater. What size are you in the shoulder? I love it. And I'm like, Adora's broad in the shoulder, yo. Like She is. And then I thought about Adora's broad shoulders. And then you forgot what you were doing. And then I forgot what I was doing. So after Adora saves everybody and Aunt Casta approves and there's hugs and there's sorcerers. We go to, you know, Adora is relaxing. On the cloud beach. Just being all snugs. Snugs with glims. We hear some relaxing tide sounds. Yeah. Adora is finally able to find some semblance of relaxation at this point. Well, and I really love the fact that she woke up slightly disoriented and she called out for Glimmer and Glimmer was right there. Yeah. You know, waiting to reassure her. Yep. And so it wasn't just that she finally achieved relaxation. She finally got the relaxation she deserved and the attention that she needed to move past whatever anxiety she was still having as she moved into a brand new state for her, which was relaxation. Yeah. She was safe enough to relax. Yes. And then we go to the Fright Zone. Yes. Back to the Black Garnet Chamber. Back to our girl, Catra. And Catra walks in. Here's probably heard a heck of commotion, mm-hmm. uh, walks in, sees Shadow Weaver's fucking toast on the floor. Catcher's like, <laughs> you dumb son of a bitch. Yep. You are going about this the wrong way, old woman. If you mm-hmm. want to take down Adora, you have to go for the heart. And then Catra gazes at an image of Bo. With his big heart on his chest. With a big heart on his chest. And I have this as one of my gayest moments. How so? Because Catra is close enough to Adora to know that that is how you take Adora down by going after her heart. Mm, I kind of think that one's a stretch. The idea that Catra knows that is going after the heart, does that mean that it is going after Adora's friends or breaking Adora's heart by having Catra be the one that goes after them? Mm, Okay, I'll allow that. I think it's a little bit of That's fair. Especially because the next episode we go into is gay. Oh my goodness. We found an excuse for some suits. Suits, And some ball gowns. And some ball gowns. Oh my goodness. And some awesome old school 80s prom sequences. But before we get there, we gotta gotta take a nap on the beach in Mysticor and chill out. Oh yes, we so do. Sign me up. I shouldn't have said so many shitty things about the cloud beach. I'll take it over no beach. Yeah, for sure. right. I'll take the cloud beach over no beach. You know, I'll, I'll lay in the steam grotto and listen to Anya. It's cool. <laughs> you know. Can we bring the special kale into the steam grotto? The party kale? Yeah, just bring some party kale into the steam grotto. All right. I'm there. Book All my right. ticket. Book cloud my beach. ticket to Mysticore. Sick. So, Jenny. Meth. What did we learn today? We learned that you cannot leave your trauma behind you because it follows you wherever you go like a shadow. You have to face it and process it, which might be a very long journey before you can actually leave it behind. Oh, I like that. Yes. And we learned that Princess Prom is the next fucking episode. Princess Prom is the next fucking episode. Ah, Princess Prom. Well, folks, if you like what you heard and you want to join us in more gay screaming about magic, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also email us at heyadoracast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at heyadoracast. I've been making Spotify playlists for each episode. This week's episode playlist, Shadows of Mysticore, is all about magic 
and is available on Spotify right now. You can find the link in the show notes or by visiting our site at heyadora.gay. That's right, .gay. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe.